Welcome to episode 181 of Auto Off Topic. Hello, Brad. What's going on, Andrew? Oh, not much. So you went to um, Bradwood because, and that's why... Because that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we were late with an episode. Um, it just, uh, I had some other stuff. I wasn't available on those nights, and then the night you had to go was like the only other night I was available. So yeah, no, I had, I went to a hockey game last week on a normal recording night and, uh, it's how not, dare you? It's not usually a big deal cause we just record the next night, but you unfortunately were busy the next night. And then the night after that was when I left for Radwood. So unfortunately it's, uh, life gets in the way and sometimes you have to work a full day job. And then this is your after work when you have time stuff, you, uh, you lose that time. So I was offered uh, Arizona Coyotes tickets. I haven't been to an Arizona Coyotes game since I've been out here yet. So I figured it'd be a cool opportunity to go check out some professional hockey. You've never, ever been to an Arizona Coyotes game. This is true. I have not. <laughs> I've, only, I've only been to Boston Bruins games and never with them playing the Coyotes. So it was a... What, uh, um, they lost, but that's okay. I honestly didn't even know that Phoenix had a hockey team. Yeah, since like 96. I think they won the. Sure. I think they won the Stanley Cup once. Really? I'm pretty sure. Uh, one of those expansion teams. Well, back from, in the '90s. From the '90s, so now they're like old enough era that there's a car show dedicated to that era. <laughs> so it's not like the '90s was yesterday. So they're a Radwood era hockey team. You know, 1980 was only 20 years ago. Sure, because you weren't <laughs> even born yet. So. <laughs> Uh, Arizona Coyotes have been a team since. Well, that answer didn't come up as fast as I thought it was going to. Although I, did I mean, I thought I thought they only had the Phoenix. The Phoenix Suns is the only thing like I knew. As okay, so they have all four of the major professional sports teams. Because even the Cardinals, no. What's the football team? Yes. Is it the Cardinals? Yes. Yeah. I suddenly I was like, oh crap. I'm saying a baseball team, which is also a baseball team, right? Yes, but not from Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Sports. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, sports, sports, obviously sports. not your strong point. Um, <laughs> so they have been a team since 1996. They were the Phoenix Coyotes until 2014. And then they became the Arizona Coyotes in 2014. Oh, okay. So yeah, they do. Uh, they do have... Some history here. They were the Winnipeg Jets from 72 to 96. Hmm. So there you go. Sure. Again, it, it's it's interesting to me because I live here now. Uh, I was pretty unaware of the Coyotes history before I moved here. So it didn't really. Uh, didn't I have really Coyotes in my backyard. <laughs> yes. Well, we do too out here. So they're. Nationwide, apparently. Uh, but anyway, so I went to a Coyotes and Florida Panthers game. And, uh, Florida Panthers? Yes, I went to two sports teams that <laughs> should not. These are two teams I've never, ever heard of. Well, the Panthers have been around forever. These They both sound like sports teams that are like movie sports teams that they don't want to actually use the real franchise. Well, see, the thing is, in hockey, movie sports teams turn into real sports teams. This is true. We've all seen the Mighty Ducks. Right. Yeah. So speaking of Radwood and Mighty Ducks, how was that show? Or how, why don't you start by how did you get there? Because I think you had some stuff 
trouble getting there, right? To Radwood? I had I had absolutely no trouble getting there. It was nothing but smooth sailing in my car. So we left on Thursday. Um, I left on my own because of my work schedule didn't coincide with other people's work schedules. So I did the first leg of the trip um, from Phoenix to Austin, Texas, which is where Radwood was. Um, All right. Hold on. How many miles is it? And what's the total time? It's a thousand miles each way. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So you looked at about 14 hours or so. Yeah, it's 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 all. That's the only problem with Austin is that it is in the almost the direct center of Texas. Yes. So it's like four hours to just the border from Austin. So there are two. That's more than four hours from the border. Yeah, depending on what direction you go, but it's minimum four hours. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely more than four hours, Um, because we stayed in Texas the night before the final leg of the drive. And it was way more than a four hour drive from there. So uh, probably close to double that. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's a thousand miles each way. It's not like our local show. (laughs) Um, Our local show to Phoenix would probably be the LA show is at the moment, the closest show. It's about the same distance as the Vegas show was about six hours or so. Um, hopefully we'll get a feeding show at some point in the future. Time will tell. There was some, uh, poking and prodding and pushing their way, uh, and showing some pictures of show results from here in Phoenix of Radwood era cars. So we'll see if it happens, but I don't have that kind of poll. So, well, it takes getting the, the word out, which it looks like people saw the Austin show last year. Yeah, for sure. And went, crap, I should have went to that. And they showed up this year. Yeah. And the venue is pretty good too. So, yep. Um, anyway, so I left Thursday night. I drove straight from, well, came, went from work, came home. I live like in the heart of like downtown Phoenix, pretty much. Changed cars, load up the rest of the stuff that I didn't want to leave in the car all day while I was at work. So I was out of Phoenix or out of the driveway by about 530 or so, I'd say. Um, decided I'd try to stay somewhere around El Paso. Because that would be a good solid drive. I figured I'd be there around midnight. So I drove to El Paso. Um, again, uneventfully, by myself. No issue at all. Just, you know, radio on, listen to podcasts, and uh, enjoying the, you know, sometimes uh, solitude is nice. Um, you just kind of, I like long road trips by myself sometimes. I also enjoy them with company, but they are also nice to just kind of like clear your head. Sometimes you need that kind of a, a thing in your life. But the car ran great. Uh, I was watching the temperature, the oil pressure, all the, the important gauges and listening for things. And the car, smooth and nice, no issues at all. So I, I took the 93 Eclipse, the European Eclipse. Um, met up. Which, in- um, sorry, which which highway is that? Is it 10? 10. 10? Yeah, it's 10. Okay. So it's, so it's the not... The more southern would be, I think the most southern is the 8. The 10's a little bit north of that. The 10 goes, it cuts pretty much right through the middle of New Mexico over to the middle of Texas. Okay. And it goes, so it goes from like, you can take the 10 from Phoenix right into El Paso, into, sorry, Albuquerque? No. You can take it right through Albuquerque, uh, Albuquerque but it's, um I'm trying to think of the name of the, of the New Mexico towns. Um, yeah. I don't really I'm stop, I don't really stop in I'm New Mexico. I'm not familiar with that part. 
of the country too much? I mean, I'm still learning (laughs) because I've only been here for six months or so. Um, New Mexico, I haven't had a chance to explore very much. Um, So I don't really know exactly where it goes or the the name of the towns that it passes through. Um, I know it goes across the state like width wise. I'm looking for like a map or an image of it right now to... Uh, yeah, I'm see. looking it up. Keep going. So anyway, we went through okay. went through New Mexico into Texas and El Paso. Uneventful. Everything was fine. Checked into the hotel. Everything was fine. Had a nice like six hour of sleep, which is good mid road trip. Sometimes you only get a couple hours, but this was a good solid plan stop. So there was no traffic, no issues. I, uh, I had a pretty good time. Um, Wake up the next day, and the plan was to meet up with a uh, former guest of the show and our friend Ron uh, and his wife Nanette in the car he dubbed the Japanese Trans Am, his um, kind of champagne silver-colored 1988 Mitsubishi Starion. So he had left a couple hours prior to me, and they stayed at a different place. So we met for breakfast uh, in true Boston fashion at a Dunkin' Donuts because it was the only thing that was... Real quick and easy. We want to get on the road, so so we met. Yeah. At- so if you're you're on the ten, sorry, okay. uh, takes you through once you're into New Mexico, La, La Cruces. Okay, Las Cruces. I probably said that wrong. Las Cruces, bro. Yeah, Las um, Cruces. El pa- and then it dives down south, brings you through El Paso, and then you skirt the Mexico border. And then eventually stay on the 10. It'll take you into San Antonio. Yeah. When you're, when you're in, when you're in El Paso on the 10, um, you're literally 200 feet from Mexico, 200 feet from Mexico. It's really close. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's real close. It's, uh, I think Juarez is the city in, in in Mexico that's right there. So Mm -hmm. yeah, in fact, I saw a lot of really neat, um, Mexican market cars on the road because a lot of people actually work in Texas that live in Mexico. So they cross the border daily to go to work, which I'm sure is not a simple task, but there were a lot of weird little, um, I was trying to get a picture. I don't know what it's called. It's like a Volkswagen pickup truck, but it's like a modern version of the caddy. So it's like a unibodied front wheel drive golf pickup. Yeah. I don't know the name of it and it, it drove away too fast to get a picture of it, but there are a lot of weird little odd cars. We don't get here that they do get, in Mexico, which is always kind of strange to me because all of these rules and regulations for the cars here in the United States, and we can't buy these cars. But when you go to a border town like that, they're all over the place. So these cars that don't fit any of our rules and regulations are literally just driving all over the place down there. So it's neat to see them because as a car guy, it's cool to see something different. But I mean, my my favorite was the Suzuki Ignis. Um, which is a little that's weird four door hatchback Suzuki thing. It's huh. it's got some seventies styling callbacks to some seventies Suzuki's with these like simulated vents behind the rear doors. Um, uh. Most people probably don't remember what seventies Suzuki's looked like because they also weren't sold here. But yeah, <laughs> not, yeah nonetheless, it's neat. All right, so you you met him at Dunkin' Donuts, kid, yeah. and uh... yeah, we got our got our, our coffees and our bagels. And, uh, well, I didn't get a bagel, but I didn't get a coffee. And uh, we stepped out on the road, and everything was pretty good. Pretty good. Uneventful is a good word for it. Some good picture-taking opportunities. Um, we did meet up with our other friend, Mike, who has the Turbo 
Capri along the route at a gas station along the way. Um, he was having a pretty smooth drive, no major issues. Um, fast forward to, I think we were in Fort Stockton area of Texas. Um, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I'd noticed a little like puff of smoke out of Ron's car, but I didn't really think much of it. I figured maybe he had had some oil blow by and it was sitting in his exhaust and he hit the throttle or something and made a little puff of smoke. So everything seemed okay. Um, stopped for gas in a little town in Texas, which actually reminded me a lot of like Conway, New Hampshire. It was that kind of touristy, like, like fake storefront kind of town. Um, and it was Fredericksburg, Texas. So we stopped in Fredericksburg, Texas. Um, Ron noticed that his car, which hadn't burnt much oil the whole trip, was down about a quart and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So he put some oil in the car, um, put some gas in the car, and we carried on. So leaving there, he puffed a little smoke pulling out again. Um, but again, now he just filled it with oil. I was like, well, maybe he spilled some oil and it's just coming out from under the car and it looks like it's coming from the exhaust or who knows what's happening. So I didn't think much of it, but a half hour later, it started to rain. So I turned my wipers on and the rain water just smeared on my windshield. So I don't think it was raining and it wasn't raining. It was a little cloudy, so I thought it was raining, but it wasn't raining. Uh, It was raining oil from Ron's car on my car, like to the point that I thought it was raining. That's obviously a bad sign. Um, And then as we're climbing a hill, I noticed that there is pretty steady smoke now underneath his car, just kind of swirling and twirling around. So I decided it was probably best to give him a call and say, hey, uh, you might want to pull over and check and see what's going on. So for those who don't know the story of Ron's car, he's driven it over 10,000 miles in the past, like 15 or 16 months going to Radwood shows all over the country. So he's pretty intimate with the way it sounds and feels and everything. So he said, well, it's not out of oil. I could tell because I'm watching the pressure gauge. He goes, and then when the oil pressure drops below a certain point and I'm out of boost, because when he goes into vacuum, um, it makes the lifter stick sometimes. He goes, I can tell when it's low on oil. So I'm going to keep going now and we'll pull over when we get a good place to pull over. So we drove another probably, I don't know, five or six miles. And uh, it was smoking the whole way. And my car is getting completely covered in oil. Um, I figure he's got to be almost out of oil by this point because it's literally all on the front of my car and my side windows and my roof and everywhere. So we pull over in a uh, like an IHOP or some chain restaurant parking lot and investigate what's going on. And we noticed that from the street to our parking spot, there are where he was driving maybe, you know, 10, 15 miles an hour in the parking lot. There are good size, like half of a dime size drops of oil from the literally the street to the parking spot. So that means it's leaking a lot of oil. So, investigations begin we try to figure out what's going on we see his sending unit for his oil pressure gauge seems to have oil dripping on top of it 
We can't quite figure out where it's coming from, but we see where it's dripping. We can actively see a drip, like dripping and landing in the little um, pressure setting unit. The fitting on a Starion, if you're not familiar with them, which why would you be? Why would anybody be? Um, is underneath the oil filter. So my first thought was the filter is loose. Well, Ron said, absolutely not. <laughs> I put that filter on there. That filter is not loose. So I believe him. Obviously, it's his car. He does all the maintenance on his car. And he says, well, we need to get some oil and we'll figure it out because we'd gone maybe 20 miles at this point and he'd burned through a solid two and a half quarts. So that's um, what I would consider excessive. I'm pretty sure you'd probably agree with that. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. When you're using more oil than fuel, uh, you have some issues. So we carried on. He said, I'm just going to take off. Don't wait for me. Just run, sweep. Or wait, don't, I'm not, I'm not going to wait for you. Just like, jump the car and go so I can get as far as I can get. So I just kind of ran sweep behind him. Um, and just scanning the road left and right, looking for broken dunk cars, making sure that he wasn't one of them. Uh, and as I crested a hill about another 15 or so miles from there, uh, I saw smoke, like a lot of smoke. And I said, well, Ron's around. Where is Ron? So I caught up to him at a stoplight and he's sitting at the stoplight and literally it looks like his car is on fire. There is yeah. just so, because when he's not moving, obviously the, the smoke is building up and it's pouring out from under the um, the rocker panels and up both sides of the car and over the roof. And so he's doing a burnout. It, it wasn't thick enough smoke for a burnout. It definitely looked like his car had caught on fire. So he rolled his window down and I was like, are you good? And he just shook his head as if to say, no, definitely not. I was like, yeah, I didn't think so. Um, so we limped it a little further. Our plan was to hit this Walmart we had found on Google Maps. because We figured we'd get to Walmart. They usually have light in the parking lot because at this point it's dark. Um, their parking lots, they allow people to camp in them. So there'll be a section where it's probably pretty well lit and pretty secure. And we can get to working on the vehicle while we're there. Uh, we didn't make it to Walmart. He had to stop and get oil. Um gas station oil, of course. So he probably spent 30 or 40 bucks on four or five quarts to make it the next five to 10 miles to get to the Walmart parking lot. So we made it to Walmart. Um, in this span of now maybe 40 miles, we'd probably used, I guess, six quarts of oil, maybe seven. It's a lot of oil. That's a ton of oil. A significant amount of oil to lose while driving your car. Um, but we didn't want to tow the car. We wanted to make sure we got somewhere. And we wanted to get a pl good place where we could diagnose what was going on and make a determination if we could continue to go or if we needed to pull the plug and, and not make it happen. So Fredericksburg, Texas is pretty close to Austin. I would say it's the last, I don't know, hour or so of the drive. Um, so we'd made it from Phoenix all the way to almost Austin, Texas, that incident. And we were trying to get there because the Radwood organization was having a Radwood pre-party at a club in downtown Austin. And that was our main goal. Hit the club in downtown Austin. 
Um, that party started at like 7.30. And when the car first broke down, it was probably 5.30. So now we were questioning if we were going to make it or not. So we get to the Walmart parking lot. I called Bradley uh, Brownell, who's part of the Red organization, and I knew would be at the party, and said, well, we're not going to make it. We're having issues. We're using seven quarts of oil over the span of 40 miles. And he was like, whoa, that's clearly a problem. So it is clearly a problem. So now we're in the Walmart. Um, the two of us don't have a good jack between the two of us. All we have is scissor, scissor jacks, like uh, the spare tire jacks, the Widowmakers. So neither of us is willing to crawl underneath Ron Sestarian with just a scissor jack on the rocker panel. So Walmart to the rescue. We bought a jack, um, some more oil, of course, a bunch of rags, and some of uh, yours and mine favorite Venom Steel gloves, which I probably sell at Walmart now. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. So we bought some Venom Steel gloves at Walmart. <laughs> They're fairly inexpensive, too. So yeah, I like those future reference, uh, Fredericksburg to Austin is 78 miles. So an hour and 26 minutes from downtown to downtown. So that's how close we were when we had issues. So we get all the stuff, we get the car up in the air. Um, we set the scissor jacks in place and used like multiple jacks so that we had multiple jacks for jack stands because we didn't have actual jack stands because there weren't any in the shop, unfortunately. Not recommended, um, but at least we had some sort of a failsafe. <laughs> um, and it was see, it was very sturdy. You know, we pushed in the car, we got in and out of the car, and everything seemed okay. So we uh, we we cut our risk as low as possible. <laughs> um, once you're under the car, the Starians have this belly pan that most modern cars have, like a plastic belly pan that covers the bottom of the engine. The Starian has a similar thing to that, but it's a big piece of steel. It's almost like a skid plate that's not strong enough to be a skid plate. And it's got five or six bolts that hold the thing in place. So once we got that out of the way, we were able to pretty easily see what was leaking. Um, so where that sending unit is that we saw oil dripping onto, it goes into the side of the filter housing. Um, and it's a pipe fitting. So whenever the previous owner of the vehicle had put his aftermarket oil pressure gauge in the vehicle. Instead of using the factory mount, he wanted the factory gauge to still work. So there was like a 90 degree T brass fitting into a Y fitting that had two different sending units on it. Oh. So all of this is hanging off the side of the engine. And yeah. I don't think that vibrating. I don't think that Home Depot brass fittings are designed to withstand engine vibration or car vibration or road vibration, especially with the weight of another fitting and two sending units hanging off of them. So Ron's put, like I said, about by the end of this trip, ten thousand miles in this car in the past you know year and a half, and that's at least ten thousand miles on the setup. So. We're like, okay, this is good. We can unscrew this the rest of the way from the from the engine, put it on the ground, <laughs> throw it in the trash, put 
put the factory sending unit back in its factory place and carry on and drive away. Crisis averted. So he went to take off the fitting, uh, and of course, it sheared off in the engine. Like flush. Like the piece of it was, you couldn't grab it with anything. We tried to jam flathead screwdrivers in there. We tried to use pliers. We tried just about everything. Um, we were thinking about just going and get some quick steel and plugging it up and hoping for the best. <laughs> that was kind of our our last ditch effort. Or I don't think he was thinking of that. I was thinking of that because I wanted to get going. Uh, but thankfully, it didn't come to that. Uh, well, I went, went back into the store to grab some vice grips so we could try a new technique. He was literally under the car with a, a pair of dikes, just picking at it and picking at it and picking at it the best he could until he had clipped enough of it away that he could literally turn it by hand and take it out. The piece yeah. that was flush in the block was maybe, I don't know, a centimeter wide that we couldn't get out. So now, obviously, we're afraid that we, you know, buggered up the threads by picking at them with side cutters um, and test fit the piece back in. Everything seemed to go back together nicely. So that's the short version of the couple hours in the parking lot of Walmart. But the moral of the story is it came out. Put it all back together. Start of the car. No oil leaks. The moral of the story is don't use cheap brass fittings. That's the real moral of the story, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you or I or Ron would have used these fittings, especially looking at how they were just like hanging off the engine. But because they were there and somebody else did, it never stood out. It wasn't something that was like, ah, oh, I should fix that because it was there and it worked. And it's kind of buried. You don't really look at it. But having looked at it afterwards, you're like, yeah, that was a bad idea. So if you're do going to be doing some kind of modification to your car where you're going to be needing to use brass fittings, um, find a better way or maybe brace them better because this had all the extra weight hanging off the end of it. And I'm sure over time it just, it fatigued and that was, that was the end of it. So it helps to be, you know, in tune with your car. You know, you know what the fluctuation of the gauges are, you know what the sounds are, you know, when it's smoking that it's broken. Um, and being familiar with the car like this before you take it on a road trip is pretty good because you know where to look, you know how to wrench on things. You know, there was no there was no time spent trying to figure out how to get to the parts because, you know, you spend enough time in these cars, you know how to work on them, just how it works. So it all went together. We carried on, got to our respective hotels. Um, that's not true. I carried on. I went to the pre-party. <laughs> For Radwood, I made it before it ended, so that was great. Um, it was actually a really good time. Um, we had uh, drinks provided by Acura, which was neat. Uh, and we had a really good time hanging out there and uh, just chit-chatting with Radwood folk and Radwood people that were going to the show and some media people, and it was uh, it was a good time. So after that, we made it to the hotel and everything was fine. Go to Radwood. Radwood's a killer time. Biggest Radwood yet. I would like to take a, a minute to discuss something that's been going through my brain a lot the past few days. And it's it's almost like a justification for why Radwood is what it is. 
Um, All right. I've heard a lot of negative thoughts about Radwood lately. Um, yeah. From a few different places about how it's driving up the prices of cars from the era. And it's oh my God. cheesy in che- like cheesy and it's not serious and all of these things. And what do you want to be serious about? It? All right. Carry on. Carry on. Right. Sorry. So it was created because it's not serious. So you have a point there. It's not serious, but that's the point. It's not supposed to be serious. It's showing respect for vehicles that don't otherwise get respect in other places which as a car guy is all you should be about. And if it is truly raising the prices of cars from the eighties and nineties, that's only good for cars from the eighties and nineties because it means that they will be preserved and not turned into demo derby cars or star speedway four cylinder race cars. Like this is a good thing for a car enthusiast. There's nothing bad about it. The car that won a raddest domestic I posted a picture of it on our Instagram page and our Facebook page. Yeah. Was that 1988 Chevy Celebrity Eurosport VR, uh, which I don't think I've seen one of those since like 1990. And the guy who owned the car has owned it for a decade. He used to live in New Hampshire, actually. Um, And he moved to Dallas, Texas, and he brought it with him. And he's never shown the car in a car show in its entire life. He just uses it to take, you know, a ride in a Sunday he said that he's never felt welcome to go to a car show with it. So he brought it to this show and he had a place to bring it and people appreciated it and it was awesome. And that's a car that it takes somebody like that guy to appreciate and care about. Otherwise it gets sold to some college kid for their first car who drives it into everything in the parking lot. So I don't understand the hatred for the Radwood shows because they're a good time. They're doing good for the hobby and the people are amazing. It's the most inclusive car event I am ever been involved with. There's really good. No, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, there's really no elitism at a Radwood. Um, and the Austin, Texas show year after year now has been the biggest showing of that. It's just the mix of people, the variety of cars. Y- you don't get that in any other car show. And this is, People, even some of our listeners, don't love the Radwood thing. Um, but I'm telling you, you, you just got to go. It's There is no better time in a car show. So anyway, that's my little spiel. Well, that's the thing. I was never, never, ever, ever been a car show person. I've always hated car shows. Yeah, organized car shows haven't just, been great. It's always been like it's a, a pissing contest always. Yeah, they've just been super boring to me. I would always rather have gone to a, a autocross or rallycross any time of the day. And now lately I've had a few issues with that because unfortunately that the cost of that stuff is going up just because uh, spaces to hold it are getting few and far between. Yep. And insurances but, and everything. And goes insurances. Up. And then uh, just the popularity of them and the fact that you're not getting as many runs anymore as you used to is kind of annoying for how much it costs. So I've been kind of not doing that because it's not worth my time, unfortunately, right now to spend an entire Saturday in a parking lot and only get three runs or something. Right. That kind of stinks. It's a bummer because I do like all the people that I've met through that stuff, but I'm not getting enough seat time in my car to make it worth it. It's a victim of its own success. Exactly. So if 
I'm just going to be in a parking lot. I might as well be having fun at a car show that is inherently goofy on purpose. Right. Because everything else is too stuffy and annoying. And, you know, everything's got to be about trophies. But really, like, at Radwood, the trophies matter, yes, because they are picked by people who really do appreciate the cars that they're picking them for. But, like... They're not, it's, there's not a trophy for every category of car for a second, third, generally for 20 classes of cars. They do like 20 trophies to cover the entire show or something. Five five trophies. Okay. So the seven, there was just shy of 700 cars and five trophies. So it's not about the trophy. And of those five trophies, only four, three of them are for cars. Four of them for cars. One's this is raddest. So there's raddest domestic, raddest Europe Euro car. Oh, sorry, no, raddest domestic, raddest import, raddest truck, raddest in show, raddest dressed, um, and raddest accessories. So there's six trophies total. So yeah, five, five for the mo- show, raddest in show. Yeah, and for the most part, you do not need to show up with the most expensive car, right, to come away with a trophy. You just need to have a super nice. Unique car. Yeah. Like a 1988 Chevy Celebrity Eurosport VR. I mean, they were. I don't think I've ever seen one. They were. They were GMC Cyclones. They were Corvette ZR1s. They were Callaway Corvettes. They were all these other domestic cars um, that could have taken home Radisson Show, you know, and a Radisson Domestic. But because of the people that run the show, they appreciate the weird. They appreciate the different. And yeah, sometimes does the Lamborghini Countach win a trophy? Sure. But also, you have just as good of a chance showing up there with a Celebrity VR or a Plymouth Sapporo. Not that I would win anything so too involved now. But, um, but what I'm saying is that there's just there's no, there's no elitism at these shows. Is is there were there two Countaches and Alpine V6 and F40 and 959 and 962C race car? Sure. Was there a uh, 1995 BMW M5 station wagon? One of like not very many in existence. Sure. Was there a, a, a Jeep Wrangler that belonged that used to belong to D Snyder, <laughs> like of Twisted yeah, Sister? Like, I saw that. Was there? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that's to the general public. Way cooler than an 88 Chevy Celebrity VR or Eurosport VR. But because the Radwood crew understands and appreciates the cars for the weirdness and for what they're doing, um, they can see past the, the, the worth of the car and see the ridiculousness, the the radness, I guess, for lack of a better word, of the individual cars. And it's just such a cool feeling to be around. I mean, did Radiston Show go to... A ridiculously expensive vehicle? Yes, it did. But it's not because it was expensive. It's because of the presentation. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I like from a social standpoint, the show is incredibly diverse in the people that come. You know, most shows that I've ever gone to in my life have skewed uh, male and white. Right. This show, I've never seen shows that have more people of color and women than anything other, like any other car show ever. And like, that's, what's really cool about it to me. That's what I mean. There's no judgment. There's no issues. There's no, 
elitism. There's no anything. Everybody's just there for the same reason and everybody has a good time. You know, and if anybody doesn't have a good time, it's their own fault because there's no shortage of ways to have a good time there. Um, you know, they did the same thing this year at Austin that they did last year with the BMX guys putting on a display and jumping over cars. And obviously your car isn't jumped over if you don't want it to be. Um, they were, they were their own cars and um, a semi-celebrity's car were jumped over. But, um, you know, the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile was there. You know, there's six food trucks that all have delicious, you know, Texas kinds of food. Um, there was, you know, a barbecue truck and the and a fancy grilled cheese truck and a shawarma truck. And it was just such a variety of everything. And, you know, the DGA was there spinning music from everything from Culture Club to uh, Dr. Dre. And I think from the 80s and 90s, it was, it's just it's it's a really good time. And there's no I, I know we've probably harped on this before and people are hired to listening to it. But, you know, I'm not financially bound to this in any way. And I spend my own money driving all over the country going to these shows. And I do that because it's such a good time and I fully support the cause. In it's basically turned into a uh, like a convention type thing, right? Yeah, I, people you, go you to these conventions, that. different type of things. Yeah, um, and the other thing too, you know, people that don't like it, they're upset about it. That's just the way the world is today, and it's always been like that. People want to rage over things, and if that's what makes you happy, if that's how you want to spend your time, is to just rage over things, then fine. Uh, we don't really care. Nobody cares. Right. Go do your own thing. You. Come or don't come, the show will happen without you. It doesn't matter. The show will go on. So that's the way that is. So highlights from the show, without just listing off names of cars, um, the Radisson show was a combo of a crew cab square body Chevy, Dually, 2500, towing a trailer, an open trailer, carrying a uh, Repsol-sponsored 962C Porsche rate a Lamar car. Yeah, that was ridiculous. I was like, oh, that's right. That's super cool. Right. Super cool. Um, you know, the F40, the pair of Countach, the Renault Alpine A, is it a 310 turbo from the 90s? I think it's a 310, A310, the rear engine wedge car. Yeah, it's like, it was that maroon one. Yes, gorgeous car. Um, the BMXers jumping over cars was entertaining as always. Um, the main car they were jumping over belonged to, I don't know. Did you ever wind up watching that hyperdrive show on Netflix, Andrew? I did not watch it, but yeah, it looks like a drift car. You should watch, you you should watch that show. Um, the car belongs to, uh, a guy named Fielding Shredder. That is his actual God given, actual God given real name is Shredder. Um, so he was born to be a drift kid, I guess. Um, he does very well in that show. I won't say whether he wins or loses for those who haven't watched the show, but he does very well. Um, he doesn't win. But um, to no fault of his driving skill, just one incident causes him not to win the show. Um, the car is now rebuilt, and he's driving all over the country with it, doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, super down-to-earth kid. Like, the guy, I talked to him for a few minutes, and he was a really neat guy. Um, the car is a little ridiculous because it's a drift car. But he's he's doing his thing and he's promoting his sport and he's super cool about it. And I can't tell you the amount of people that I saw stop and talk to him and be like. And I, I say this after saying the show is very accepting, but being like super nerdy and nerding out about telling him about their project cars. 
And I heard him on more than one occasion talking about welded diffs versus one and a half way versus two way diffs. And, you know, these people that were just asking him questions as, as a spectator of the show, it's like he was there promoting himself. Sure. But I know a lot of people involved in that kind of stuff wouldn't take the time to explain the nuances of little things with that to people. So it was really neat to see him doing that. And if you ever have a chance to see him doing anything, definitely look it up or watch him on his YouTube channel. He's got a lot of neat videos or watch him on that um, hyperdrive show. Super cool guy. Um, and he was fully into it and he had, he had his own t-shirts made up for the event as well on top of the regular Radwood event shirts. And it was just, it was a really neat time um, hanging out with that guy. Um, oil issues also plagued me at Radwood. So we fixed Ron's okay. car, we fixed Ron's car Friday night on the way there. Uh, Saturday, I'm walking down the front part of the racetrack because the racetrack has like a mini version of Laguna Seca's little downhill corkscrew. Yeah, I'm walking down a little downhill corkscrew, and Lane walks up to me and he goes, "Hey, you don't know anything about generators, do you?" And I said, uh, "I mean." I know what they do and what their main purpose is. He goes, oh, well, the generator stopped working because they have multiple generators around the event to power the speakers that are all over the place. So it's out of gas. My first thought is it's out of gas, but <laughs> uh, but Lane brought it up and Lane's not like, he's not that dumb to have not known it was out of gas. Lane's a very smart man. So I'm thinking he's not out of gas. So I said, well, is it a Honda generator? And he goes, yeah. I said, all right. Well, I used to work at a Honda dealer, so... I have a little bit of familiarity with them. It was over 20 years years ago, ago, but we'll take a look. So thankfully this particular generator was about 23 years old. So I knew all about it. Um, Whoever had done the last service on it didn't tighten the oil plug and it drained itself of all of its oil. Thankfully, Hondas have a low oil protection system. So when the oil level drops below a certain amount, it shuts itself off. So I said, all right, Lane. I said, all right, Lane, give it a pull start and we'll see if the, there's a light that comes on in the front when you do that. So he pulls it and sure enough, the light was on. It's like, all right, we just got to get some oil. This is fine. So he's like, oh, who's got any oil? And I'm like, man, I don't wait. I know Ron has tons of oil in the back of his car right now. <laughs> so we went to Ron's car and, Again, I asked Ron, I was like, hey, Ron, you get toilet in your car? And he's like, oh, yeah, got plenty of it. Because he still had a couple of five-gallon, uh, five-quart containers that he had bought just in case he needed them. So we were able to save the generator with Ron's oil from his leaky Sarion. Um, everything fired right up. It took way more oil than I thought it was going to need. Uh, thanks to other random spectator who happened to be there who had a water bottle on him at the time that we cut up to make a makeshift funnel out of. Because we were definitely dumping more oil on the ground than inside the crankcase at first. So, got that all taken care of. No more oiling issues for that day. So, that was good. Uh, show went off pretty well. It was the biggest one yet. There was somewhere between 650 and 700 cars, uh, which is enormous. Um, there was somewhere between probably six and 7,000 spectators, which is wow. enormous. Wait, wait a minute. You said six and seven thousand spectators? Possibly, yeah. Wait. 
Yeah, the park. I'm sorry. Did I hear you right? The number, the letter, the number six and the number seven? Somewhere in that range, yeah. There's a lot of spectators. Really? So many, wow. so many people there. Um, so Naomi was working the merch booth with uh, Bradley's wife, Amanda, and the entire day, neither of them had less than a 35-person long line waiting for them. Wow. They, they pretty much sold out of almost everything. Um t-shirts hats you name it it's gone so it was by far the biggest event that's that's happened there yet at one point um the the spectator traffic line not the car show traffic line went from the event the venue itself back onto the highway and that's a solid i'd say probably a mile of of road was just spectators trying to get into the parking lot so Bunch of the food trucks ran out of food. Uh, the coffee truck completely ran out of food and donuts. I mean, it was it was nuts. It was a lot of people. <laughs> so, oh, very cool. It was a really good time. No, absolutely zero complaints. Really good time. Um, the only complaint I could have is I was uh, sore and tired by the end of the day. My little GPS watch said I walked like eight and a half miles during the day around the racetrack and like twenty seven thousand steps. So it was. It was definitely pretty busy. Um, anyway, left there, did some uh, Austin, Texas stuff. Went down Sixth Street, hung out down there. I got some food and some beers. Took in all the sights of the crazy people. Did you get barbecue? Silence is golden. Oh no! So here's what happened. We had a little bit of barbecue at the event um, because one of the food trucks was a barbecue truck. Yeah. So we had some barbecue from the barbecue truck. Um, I had shawarma from the shawarma truck because it was a uh, um, listed gluten free and it was delicious. And I've always wanted to try shawarma because I don't really know what it is. Shawarma's good. It turns out it's basically uh, yero. Yeah, uh, but they did a like decon- it's all related. Yeah, they did a deconstructed one, so it was almost like a, a yero salad. Um, super delicious. I mean, a yero is a Greek taco. It's really yes. It's not that it's not that far off. No, it's a it's a Greek lamb taco. So yeah. Anyway, it was really good. It was actually kind of funny because they had um, the spice level to order spices was not spicy, white people spicy, or brown people spicy. <laughs> that was the way they had their menu <laughs> set up on the truck. So I got it with real spiciness, which is basically means it came with uh, habaneros in it. But uh, real delicious. But anyway, um, so no, we did not get barbecue other than a little bit from a truck at the end of the day. Um, because by the time we went out for dinner, it was pretty late and all the barbecue places in that particular area didn't serve food anymore. Yeah. So we wound up at this, uh, restaurant that does burgers called Eureka. They had a really big beer list and a really good burger list. And, uh, it was definitely a hundred percent worth it. So we got good food. At least we didn't eat at like McDonald's. Like we had really good local fare. Um, but Ron and I were actually talking about that earlier today. Like we've not gone to Austin twice and not stopped and got in good barbecue. You can literally get good barbecue at a gas station. Well, not in Austin proper and not, yeah, you can. not a lot of 10. <laughs> uh, not, in the, not in the downtown city that the city is too city like, uh, but anyway, so like, I guess we gotta go back next year so we can get our barbecue, which I'm sure we were intending to do anyway. So it's not a big deal, but, um, so we'll fast forward through all of this. 
We're driving home. It's me and Naomi in the Eclipse because she actually flew out. You know, I had the solitary drive out there. She didn't take Friday off from work, so she we were able to get a pretty inexpensive flight from Phoenix to Austin. So she flew in Friday night, and I picked her up at the airport. So now she's with me for the drive home. Uh, Ron and his wife, Nanette, and our friend Mike, who had, was in um, Austin for other reasons, but also for Radwood in his rental car. So driving home, everything's fine. We get about, I don't know, halfway through the first day of driving because we don't do it in two, two days. Uh, and my phone rings and it's Ron. Um, I don't think much of it other than it's weird that he's calling me because he's right in front of me. So I answer and he goes, well, here's the situation. Um, my clutch pedal's on the floor. I said, okay. Well, it's probably going to be your slave cylinder because that's generally what breaks in these cars, but not much we can do about it right now. We'll take a look at the next gas station. Maybe it's just out of fluid. Maybe it's got a small leak that's leaking a little bit at a time. So we get to the gas station, open his hood. Sure enough, no hydraulic fluid in the reservoir. Perfect. Fill it up with fluid, pump the pedal. Everything's fine. Look under the car. Nothing's leaking. All right, let's give it a few more pumps and we'll, we'll refill the reservoir the rest of the way. And then it's leaking again. Uh, so he definitely blew his master cylinder in the car. So now for the rest of the journey home, we're going to have no, not master cylinder, excuse me, slave cylinder. No slave cylinder on the Starion for the rest of the drive. Which is not a big deal on the highway, but anytime you have to stop, obviously you have to shut the engine off. And then to get moving again, if you can't be pushed, you have to be starting in gear. Which isn't good for the starter now. So you're putting extra wear and tear on the starter. So he's annoyed, but it is what it is. So we continue on our journey. Uh, at some point that night, we're on the 10. And there's a guy in an F-250 in front of Ron. And I'm behind Ron. And our other friend Mike says, rental Volkswagen Passat behind us. And the guy decides he wants to get off the highway. And we're in the left lane passing. But all the vehicles we're passing are in his way. So the speed limit through Texas is 80. So he jumps on the brakes and goes from 80 to 25 with no warning and puts on his turn signal after the fact and waits for all the cars he was just passing to pass him to turn off the highway. So oh, good. emergency stops for no reason on the highway. At first, we'd been seeing a bunch of deer. We thought it was like a deer running across the road or something, but no, it was just him deciding it was time to get off the highway. Emergency stops. So... Obviously, Ron has less time to react because there's a truck in front of him that knew what he was doing, and now Ron sees the taillights, and we're also doing 80, 85 miles an hour, so he jumps on the brakes, locks up his tires and wheels. I jump on the brakes, lock up my tires, and then Mike behind us doesn't lock up his tires because he's in a 2020 Passat. That, whatever. It's good. I'm glad he was that, and it wasn't some guy in a Kenworth. Um, as we drive away, I smell burning hydraulic fluid. It's like, hmm, I wonder if he wasn't thinking because he was just emergency braking and put the clutch pedal down again just out of instinct so he didn't sell the car. That must yeah, be two feet in. Yeah, that, <laughs> that must be what that is. So we're driving away. I'm not worried about it. We get to our hotel, and I was like, oh, when that we start to tell the stories about the idiot in the truck, I'm like, oh, is that guy in the truck? Like, you jump on the brakes and then hit the clutch at the same time, not thinking about it, and spill fluid again? And he's like, nah. I just use the brakes. 
Let's go. Well, I smelled hydraulic fluid burning. He's like, yeah, I smelled that too. It couldn't be me though. Okay. Huh. All right, let's go get some dinner. <laughs> so we go out to dinner, come back, go to bed. Next day we get up. He's checking all his fluids. Everything looks good. We're getting ready to leave. And his wife's behind the car and she goes, not to cause any concern, but is that a fresh puddle? And she's pointing at the passenger side rear wheel. So I'm like, nah, it can't be. There's nothing, there's nothing back there to leak. Everything's totally fine. Um, turns out it was. When the panic stop had happened, he blew a brake line in the right rear. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, so the hydraulic fluid we were smelling was definitely from his car because the right rear is also where the exhaust system is. So as it sprayed out of the brake line, it also covered the exhaust in hydraulic fluid. So thankfully it's not a 1962, so it has a uh, you know dual master circuitry set, set up. So no harm, no foul, I guess, because you're not going to get a brake line for an 88 Starion in the middle of the desert on a Sunday or a Monday morning. Um, and they're brand new brake lines too, which is concerning. Um, like a couple thousand mile old brake lines. So, Wait, like the copper ones? No, the rubber hose. The oh. brake hose. Yeah. So. Weird. Oh, yeah. Real weird. So that's got to get looked at a little bit more. Um, anyway, the rest of the drive was pretty uneventful. I think the only time that he was really cursing his car was uh, if you've driven along the I-10. We're talking about how close it is to the Mexican border. You know, you do have to stop for border patrol, which is not fun when your car has no clutch and leaking brake fluid and funny oil issues and I'm not doing anything suspicious. Right. Yeah, I'm just I'm just driving this 80s car. No problem, officer. Everything's fine. Um, but he seemed to be okay. He got through border patrol. They didn't say anything, so we made it home. Uh Radwood is in the past, Rabbit Austin. Uh we're looking forward to the next one that we go to and uh hopefully can mitigate some of the problems, but hey, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for problems, would there really be an adventure, right? Anybody can get in a brand new car and drive cross country. It takes a special person to try to do it in a 30 some one year old car. Mm-hmm. So. Anything else? I don't think so. That's pretty much the trip. That's pretty much the Radwood story yeah. of this, this event. So we do have some upcoming events. We do. Radwood, March 21st, South Carolina. Radwood, Philly, April 5th. I will be there. I'm and then Mal- Malay's Days, April 25th, Automobile Drive Museum. Yep. Where is that? Palm Springs, California. Oh. Yes. And then our first uh, event with Southern New Hampshire Cars and Coffee is April 19th, 2020 That's- at the Coffee Factory in Salem, New Hampshire. Up a little over a month. Yeah. But your doldrums are almost done there. We we're almost done. We had a we had a good fall spring day today. Um and then, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think we're going to skirt through. I think we're just going to make it. But, you know, we've got a few more weeks. I'll never count those two because I'll never forget. There are, day, there are years when we would get a foot of snow on April 1st. So, Well, I'm not going to take the snow rake out of the car. We're going to leave it yeah, in leave there. Leave the snow tires on. Leave the snow rake in the car. Give yourself a little time. Yep. 
Snow tires are April 1st. That's when they come off. November 1st, April 1st. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, excellent. I'm uh, I'm happy for you that the season is almost over. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've just been uh, working on my kitchen. Yeah. So no project car updates. Well, that's a pretty big project update because you're doing a 1920s kitchen over, so... 1970s kitchen that was installed in a 1920s house. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. You work you're working on a house that you have it down to the studs that was built in the 20s. So you're dealing yeah. with some some jaunty old handiwork for yeah. lack of a better word. All right. So, as always, you can follow us on Facebook Auto Off Topic Podcast, Auto Off Topic on Instagram. Brad, where can they find you? Instagram at TSISS350. And I'm on Instagram at Raced in Anger. And uh, as always, keep your cars analog and aim for the roses. Oh